الله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله while the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness. We seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead Him astray. And whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide Him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that He has no partners or associates. And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. We'd like to begin this evening in our sixth lecture, lecture number six, in the sharh or explanation of Lumat al-Aytiqad, radiance or sufficiency of the faith, al-Hadi ila sabil al-Rashad, the guide to the straight way by Al-Imam Abu Muhammad Abdullah ibn Ahmed ibn Muhammad ibn Qudama rahimahullah Just quickly to review the points which we covered in the previous lecture uh, point number seven the saying of uh, under the chapter entitled Al-Targheeb Fis-Sunnah or encouragement to follow or stick to the Sunnah with Tahdeer min al-Bid'ah and warning against innovations in the deen. Uh, the saying of uh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud رضي الله عنه اتبعوا ولا تبتدعوا فقد خفيتم and the meaning of his statement is follow strictly or adhere strictly to the sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, the way of his companions and don't وَلَا تَبْتَدِعُوا Don't innovate or bring anything new in the deen. For verily you have been sufficed. يعني فَقَدْ قُفِيتُمْ means that those who came before you, the Prophet وسلم, and his companions and the tabi'een and all those who followed in their way in that path that they traveled upon, they have been sufficient. They have been sufficient. There is no need to bring anything new. The revelation has been completed. The deen has been completed. And there is no need to add or to take anything from it. Also the statement uh, from the ones from one of the Tabi'een students of Sahaba that is the Khalifa of the Muslims, Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, Rahimahullah, the meaning of his words, stop where the people stop, and those who came before us, the Prophet and his companions, for it is based on knowledge but they stopped where they stopped and they didn't go beyond where they stopped based on knowledge and it is with keen insight that they held back or they stopped where they stopped and restrained themselves from entering into anything new and also he said concerning those who came before us, meaning the companions of the Prophet and their students from amongst the Sahaba, said that uh, they were more capable 
of uncovering any good or beneficial matter and they were more deserving of any extra virtues or merits if there was something to be introduced or to be discovered or to be followed outside of that which was already established in the Sunnah of the Prophet then they would have introduced it, they would have practiced it, they would have espoused it and the fact that they didn't do so is a proof that there is no benefit, there is no virtue and there is no good in going beyond where they stopped. If someone were to say, but it was introduced after them, then the answer to them, فَمَا أَحْدَثَهُ إِلَّا مَنْ خَالَفَ هَدْيَهُمْ وَرَغِبَ عَنْ سُنَّتِهِمْ But no one has introduced such things except those who opposed and contradicted the guidance of the early generations of the Muslims, the guidance and example of Sahaba and those who came after them, and who was unsatisfied with their ways of guidance, their sunnah. Since he says, وَلَقَدَ وَصَفُوا مِنْهُ مَا يَشْفِي وَتَكَلَّمُوا مِنْهُ بِمَا يَكْفِي Since they have described the deen of Islam, they have described it with a description that satisfies and gratifies and gratifies and they have spoken about it, that is the deen of Islam was that which is sufficient. فَمَا فَوْقَهُمْ whoever goes above them or beyond them, then that person has went into extremism or excessiveness and they have only tied themselves with actions that have no benefit. Uh, and whoever falls short from their guidance or does less than them or doesn't try to follow their guidance yani in its totality, leaving off some of it, not accepting any of it. This person is muqassir, they have fallen short, they have yani, went off the path, they have abandoned the sunnah and fallen short. And some people have fallen short uh, and therefore went far away. And some people have gone to the extremes or transgressed the bounds and they have gone into extremism or ghulu. But really, those who came before us, the Prophet and his companion, they were in between these two extremes. Either extreme of going beyond the bounds of falling short, but they were on the middle path, alahudan, guidance, mustaqeeman, a straight or upright way. And also, we mentioned the statement from amongst the Atba'at Tabi'in or the Tabi'at Tabi'in, the students of the students of Sahaba, the statement of Al-Imam Abu Amr al-Awza'i, rahimahullah, in which he said, Alayka bi-athar man salaf وَإِنْ رَفَدَكَ النَّاسِ That it is incumbent upon us to follow the way or the guidance or the model of those who came before us and those who preceded us even if the people reject us due to following that way. وَإِيَّاكَ وَأَرَاءَ الرِّجَالِ وَإِنْ ذَخْرَفُوهُ لَكَ بِالْقَوْلِ And beware of the baseless opinions of people, of the men even if they beautify it and make it attractive due to their speech. Uh, the final statement that we mentioned, and all of these statements are encouragement to following the Sunnah and taking as our example or our model those who came before us, particularly the first generation of the Muslims, as Sahaba radiallahu anhu and their students, the Tabi'un, and those who followed in their footsteps or in their way. Uh, the last statement was the statement or the narration by Al-Imam Ibn Qudamah, rahimahullah, 
of the debate that took place uh, between Abu Abdul Rahman Abdul Ibn Muhammad Ibn Ishaq Al-Azrami Rahimahullah who was one of the Imams of the people of Sunnah and that debate took place between him and Ahmed Ibn Faraj Al-Basari Al-Jahmi who was one of the enemies of the Sunnah or the people of Bid'ah and their debate took place concerning the issue of whether or not the Quran is created or not and we know that the aqeedah of Ahl Sunnah Wal-Jama'ah is that the Quran is the speech of Allah and it is not created. So Muhammad ibn Abdurrahman al-Azrami, rahimahullah, he said to a man who was calling to this bid'ah, who was speaking about this bid'ah and calling to it, he said to him, هَلْ عَلِمَهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم وأبو بكر وعمر وعثمان وعلي He said, did the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali radiallahu anhum ajma'in, did they know about that which you are speaking about and that which you are calling to? Awal lam ya'lamuha, or they didn't know about it. And that man said, lam ya'lamuha. He said they didn't know about it because obviously since they hadn't spoken about it, it was better for him to say they didn't know about it. It was something that he came up with. Not knowing that that was the argument that the Imam was using to silence him. Uh, he said to him, فَشَيْءٌ لَمْ يَعْلَمْهُ هَؤُلَاءِ أَعْلَمْتَهُ أَنْتَ يعني something that they didn't know about and yet you know about it. Then the man changed his mind and he said, فَإِنِّي أَقُولُ قَدْ عَلِمُهَا Then I say that, yeah, indeed, they did know about it. Then the imam said to him, أَفَوَسَعَهُمْ أَنْ لَا يَتَكَلَّمُ بِهِ وَلَا يَدُعُ النَّاسَ إِلَيْهِ أَمْ لَمْ يَسَعْهُمْ Was it possible? that they avoided speaking about it and calling people to it or was it not possible and he said Bala wasahum and it was possible that they didn't that it was and they could have left off it was sufficient for them not to speak about it then he said to him Fashirun wasaha Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam la is it something that was sufficient for them and you leave them off speaking about it and calling to it and it's not sufficient for you Rajul at that point the man understood that he had erred that something which he admitted, according to him, it was known to, the, to those who were better than him, and yet they didn't speak about it or call to it, and at the same time, it wasn't sufficient for him then to do as they did, and to avoid talking about it and calling to it. So at that point, he left that innovation and left calling to it. فَقَالَ الْخَلِيفَةَ وَكَانَ حَادِرًا لَا وَصَعَ اللَّهِ عَلَى مَنْ لم يسعه ما وسعهم يعني he made supplication against that man saying the khalifa that is the khalifa of that time he made supplication against him and those or those who were like him or those who acted in that way may Allah not suffice whoever is not satisfied with that which was sufficient for the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa his companions then Imam Ibn Qudama closes this section Point number 11 saying هكذا من لم يسعه ما وسع رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وأصحابه والتابعين لهم بإحسان ولا إما من بعدهم والراسخين في العلم من تلاوة آيات الصفات وقراءة أخبارها وإمرارها كما جاءت فلا وسع الله عليه Likewise may Allah not suffice whoever is not suffice or satisfied with that which was sufficient for the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and his companions and the Tabi'een who followed them in righteousness and the Imams who came after them 
and those who are firmly grounded in knowledge, it was sufficient for them to recite the Qur'an, including those ayats that relate to the sifat or the characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and to read the narrations of hadith of the Prophet that contained the sifat or characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they simply made imrar, accepting them on face value, just as they were transmitted. They accepted those ayats and those hadith which reported to us or informed us of the sifat or characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without reinterpreting them, falsely interpreting them, negating them, or making any change whatsoever in them. These are the points that we covered uh, last week. Alaykum salam wa And tonight, as we said, we want to uh, continue with the next point, point number 12. Zakaria? Yeah. Point number 12, uh, the chapter entitled Zikr Ba'di Ayat Al-Sifat and the mention of some of the ayat of the Qur'an, some of the verses of the Qur'an that deal with Al-Sifat or the characteristics or qualities of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. The Sifat or the ayat, the verses of the Qur'an which Al-Imam Umm Qudama mentions in this chapter a few, while the verses in the Qur'an which mention as sifat in the Qur'an are many, but he has only mentioned a few as a sample, as a sample of some of those characteristics, particularly those that those who deviated from the sunnah reinterpreted or falsely interpreted or misunderstood. So he mentions nine characteristics that are mentioned in the Qur'an that are affirmed for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an and we should affirm them just as they are without making comparison without reinterpreting without negating uh, or without emptying them of their meanings the first of them is al-wajj the face the second al-yadan two hands the third al-nafs the self the fourth al-maji the coming the fifth, al-rida, pleasure of being pleased. The sixth, al-mahabba, love. The seventh, al-ghadab, anger. The eighth, al-sakhat, or, yeah, I mean, sakhat means to be enraged, or, yani, more, yani, ma'am, more serious than just normal anger. The names al-kira'a, al-kira'ha, yani hatred or detesting something. Uh, so these verses we'd like to just mention <coughs> uh, briefly with the commentary of Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Uthaymeen concerning them <coughs> as he has discussed some points related to these verses and some of the proofs. Uh, also from the Sunnah that uh, coincide and further confirm the reality of these sifat or characteristics of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first of them, the sifat which the author Al-Imad ibn Qadam rahimahullah has mentioned uh, in the order that he mentions them, the first Al-Wajj. 
The Sheikh says uh, concerning this ayah in the Quran, Surah Al-Rahman, chapter 55, verse 27, وَيَبْقَى وَجْهُ رَبِّكَ ذُو الْجَلَالِ وَالْإِكْرَامِ In the face of your Lord, full of majesty and honor, will abide forever, or will remain, or will last forever, and it will never go out of existence. Yabqa, it will remain forever. The Shaykh says that Al-Wajj, the face, it is confirmed for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by evidences from the Qur'an, the Sunnah, and the Ijma' or consensus of the early generations of the Muslims. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in Surah Al-Rahman verse 27 that the face of your Lord will remain the face of your Lord who is the possessor of majesty and honor. Sheikh Muhammad Hafizullah confirms this sifa or characteristic of Allah of having a face also by evidence from the Sunnah the hadith which is reported in Al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqaf radiallahu anhu in which he said that the Prophet sallallahu said to him إِنَّكَ لَن تُنْفِقْ نَفَقَةً تَبْتَغِي بِهَا وَجْهَ اللَّهِ إِلَّا أُجِرْتَ عَلَيْهَا that you would never spend any spending seeking the face of Allah except that you will be rewarded upon it or you will be rewarded for it and anything that you spend any spending that you do seeking seeking the face of Allah then you would definitely be rewarded for it this hadith is reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim it is muttafakun alayh of the most authentic of hadith or the highest standard of authenticity of hadith so there is no doubt that not only the Quran but also the Sunnah confirms Al-Wajj or the fact of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala having a face also the Shaykh says that the scholars of the Salaf the early generations of the Muslims the predecessors of the Muslim Ummah have agreed by consensus on the affirmation of Al-Wajj for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore it is obligatory on us to affirm it without without tahrif distorting the meaning and without ta'atil uh, emptying that expression of its meaning it is there and without taqyif attempting to explain the how of it and without tamthil making an example to explain the face of Allah by an example of anything in the creation and we must confirm it without these deviations distorting its meaning, emptying it of its meaning explaining the how of it or making an example for it and then he says and it is وَهُوَ وَجْهٌ حَقِيقِي يَلِيكُ بِاللَّهِ It is a real face in that is appropriate or suitable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yani Allah indeed has a real face 
the how of it we don't know and we don't make a comparison to the face of any of his creatures. Uh, then the Sheikh says that some of the people, the Ahlu Ta'atiyyul, those who made Ta'atiyyul, who emptied the Sifat of Allah of their meanings, they re-explained or falsely interpreted this Sifa of Allah to mean al-thawab. Seeking the face of Allah, they said it means seeking the thawab, the reward of Allah. But we say, we, and we refute them as the Shaykh explained in the introduction to the book in the fourth rule that we took in our introductory lecture, the Qaida al-Rabia, the fourth Qaida, we said that the way of refuting those who reinterpreted the Sifat of Allah in the Qur'an or in the Sunnah is number one, by explaining that their reinterpretation, what they have said in reinterpreting or negating or distorting its meaning, is contrary to the obvious meaning of the text of the Qur'an. And it's contrary to the obvious meaning. Therefore, it's rejected for this reason. Secondly, it's contrary. Reinterpretation or distorting its meaning or negating its meaning, all of this is also contradictory to the way of the early generations of the Muslims. They used to accept the sifat, as we mentioned in the previous uh, chapters, and they used to accept the sifat just as they were, making imrah, reading them as they are and accepting them without making any change or distortion or reinterpretation to the meaning. So this reinterpreting or negating of its meaning is also contrary to the way of the early generation of the Muslims and we have been told to follow the way of the early generations of the Muslims. Uh, also, the third manner of refuting them is by reminding them that their reinterpretation is not based upon any authentic evidence. Yani there is no proof for them in interpreting the face of Allah as al-thawab. Allah mentions reward, al-thawab and ajr. He mentions in the Qur'an in so many places that He would reward the people for the good deeds. But here, the mention of faith, it means faith. While reward means reward. To interpret faith as reward, it has to, if anyone claims that it is a correct interpretation, they should bring proof from the Qur'an or from the Sunnah or from the understanding of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. The second characteristic which the author, Al-Imam Ibn Qudam, rahimahullah, mentions is in Surah Al-Ma'idah, chapter 5, verse 64. The saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala بَلْ يَدَاهُ مَبَسُوطَتَانِ May his two hands are widely outstretched. This verse in the Qur'an it is a refutation or an answer to the Jews who said that Allah's hands are tied meaning that Allah doesn't spend freely, that Allah doesn't give of His bounties and favors freely. And Allah rejected this statement and refuted them or answered them by saying, Bell, in fact, in fact, Yadahu Mabasulqatan, His two hands are widely stretched out and He spends freely as He wills. The Shaykh mentioned concerning this sifa that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has two real hands and it doesn't mean the two hands of Allah don't mean 
the bounties of Allah or the power of Allah as the people of deviation reinterpreted them. He said one of the proofs after the Quran, one of the proofs of the affirmation of hands for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that which has been reported by Al-Imam Muslim and Al-Imam Al-Bukhari the same meaning but the expression as he mentioned it here is reported in the Sahih of Muslim and a similar worded hadith is reported in Al-Bukhari on the authority of Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu he said that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Yameen Allah that the right hand of Allah is full and is full of bounties and favors and blessings La that no spending reduces the wealth or the bounties or favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah is rich, He is full Sahaw al-layla wal-nahar He is spending and giving freely from His bounties and favors night and day until in that hadith he mentioned the saying بِيَدِهِ الْأُخْرَى الْقَبْدِ يَرْفَعُ وَيَقْصِبُ and in his other hand بِيَدِهِ الْأُخْرَى in Allah's other hand is القبض يعني the grasping of the things of the creation يَرْفَعُ وَيَقْصِبُ and he raises up and he brings low uh, as he wills. The Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen Afrilullah says that the scholars of the early generation of the Muslims have reached consensus upon affirming the two hands for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore it is obligatory on us to confirm them without making tahrif, distortion or ta'atil emptying them of their meaning without taqif attempting to explain the how or asking the how of it without conceal making examples for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he said that the two hands of Allah are real hands and they are hands that are suitable and appropriate for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the creator here there is a note as I mentioned this hadith has been reported in the Sahih of Muslim and a similarly worded hadith has been reported by Al-Bukhari in the narration of Al-Bukhari in the book of Tawheed the chapter the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لِمَا خَلَقْتُ بِيَدَيَّ that which I have created with my two hands in that uh, under that chapter Al-Imam al-Bukhari narrated the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu with a wording instead of يَمِينَ اللَّهِ he said بِيَدُ اللَّهِ مَلْآهِ لَا يُغِيدُهَا نَفَقَ that the hand of Allah is full and no amount of spending reduces it or causes it to decrease here the wording of Imam al-Bukhari in his report it has the wording Yadullah and in the word of Imam Muslim in the narration of Imam Muslim it has Yameen Allah the right hand of Allah and in this one the hand of Allah both of these are reported from Abu Huraira and it is said that The the people of deviation have reinterpreted or falsely explained the meaning of hand for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to mean and ni'mah, the bounty or favor. 
or al-qudra, the power or ability, and such similar expressions of similar meaning. And we refute them as we refuted the previous false interpretation with the rule that Sheikh Muhammad mentioned in the introduction, the fourth rule, al-Qaeda al-Rabi'ah, that is by saying that their interpretation is contrary to the obvious meaning of the text, and number two, it is contrary to the manner of accepting the sifat of Allah by the early generation of the Muslims, the Salaf, it is contrary to their manner of accepting it by its obvious meaning, and number three, that their interpretation does not have any authentic proof or basis for it. The Shaykh says, not only those three manners of refuting them, but a fourth manner also of refuting them, and it is that the context of the statement prohibits the interpretation that they have given to the two hands of Allah, in that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the ayah, that was the chapter heading of Al-Imam Al-Bukhari, لِمَا خَلَقْتُ يعني Submit to that which I have created with my two hands. They interpreted hands to mean ni'ma, but here Allah said two hands, clearly in the text, in, the, in this ayah, and also the statement of the Prophet sallam, And in his other hand is the grasping or the holding of that which he would hold in his hand of the creation. Yani this, the, the context of the ayat and the context of the hadith make it clear that the meaning here is not his favor or his bounty. Yani in his favor, he said, بِيَدِهِ الْأُخْرَى الْقَبْ That Allah with his other hand holds the things of the creation. Then how can we interpret here the meaning of hand, his other hand, it means his bounty or his favor. So here the shaykh said that this ayat that is mentioned by Imam al-Bukhari and also the ending of the hadith here, the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, that in his other hand he is holding the things of the creation that this is uh, a proof that their interpretation is unacceptable and is not in accordance with the context of the statement also the shaykh he says that the characteristic of hand has been mentioned for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in different forms in the Quran and he says in one place it is mentioned in its singular form al-ifrad in singular not in dual and this is like the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Mulk chapter 67 verse 1 tabaraka alladhi biyadihi al-mulk the blessed is the one in whose hand is the sovereignty the kingdom here, yad is mentioned in the singular form. In another place, yad is mentioned in the dual form, at tasmiyah, like the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Ma'idah, chapter 5, verse 64, which we mentioned, bal yadahu mabsutatan. Bal yadahu yadahu, it is dual, it means two hands. And in another place, in Surah Yasin, chapter 36, verse 71, it is mentioned in the plural form, al-jam, as in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْا أَنَّا خَلَقَنَا لَهُمْ مِمَّا عَمِلْتْ مِمَّا عَمِلَتْ أَيْدِينَا أَنْعَامًا يعني, Do they not see that we have 
created for them an aman, yani bounties or favors, minna amilat aidina, from what our hands have produced. Here aidina is plural, ad is the plural of yet. So here the Sheikh says that in various places in the Quran, the characteristic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of having hands has been mentioned in some places in the singular form as yet, and some places in the dual form yadahu, his two hands, and in another place in the plural form aidina. And he said that the tawfiq or the gem or the reconciliation of these various forms of the sifa of yet being mentioned is that when it was mentioned in the singular form, it was mentioned in idafa or in a construct phrase, yani in the expression mulk, yani his hand, and this doesn't negate the possibility or the fact of Allah having another hand, but it only mentions one of his hands here, not that he only has one hand, biyadihi, in his hand. Just as if someone said, I have in my hand a hundred riyals, it doesn't mean that they only have one hand. Likewise, the plural, he said that the plural, the explanation of the AD being mentioned here, that Allah has hands, or the plural expression being used, he said that, uh, first of all, it is used here meaning ta'zim. Yani it is used as an expression to show the greatness and the glory of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the work that he does with his hands. It is not meant to specify the number of plurality, which in Arabic language is normally understood to be three or more. But some of the scholars said that even the plural in Arabic language, the least of plurality is two. And in that case, if we understand it to be the least possibility of plurality as two, then there is no contradiction between the plural form being used here. And in fact, uh, the truth of the matter and the fact of the matter is that all of them, all of these narrations should be understood to confirm the fact that Allah has hands and not to limit the hands to one or to express it as being more than two but in fact Allah has two hands as mentioned uh, in this verse under the chapter and also in some of the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Also uh, it is mentioned here the note of Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani in his explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari, Fat al-Bari in volume 13, page 3, 95 when he was discussing the narration of Al-Imam Muslim the narration of this hadith that uh, the Shaykh mentions in that narration uh, Al-Imam Muslim mentioned the word Yameen Allah, the right hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well, Imam Bukhari in his narration mentioned Yad Allah, the hand of Allah, without specifying Yameen or otherwise. Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani says uh, that this narration of Imam Muslim, Yameen Allah, in place of the expression in the Sahih of al-Bukhari, Yad Allah, he said that it is an indication uh, it is an indication and a proof against those who try to explain the yet of Allah as ni'mah or favor or bounty in the expression in the Sahih of Muslim 
the expression came Yameen Allah and Yadihi Al Ukhra and with other hand, which shows that the meaning here is meant to be hands and not bounties, but the two hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And here Al Hafiz he says that uh, those who try to explain hand to mean ni'mah or bounties or favor, that uh, they have went far away and far astray from the correct interpretation uh, and the correct understanding of this characteristic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also, this statement of, of Al-Hafiz ibn Hajar al-Asqalani is a proof that he has rejected and refuted those who make ta'wil, re-explanation or tahrif distorting the meanings of the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as some of them claimed that he was from the mu'awwila or those who make ta'wil but in fact here is a clear statement from Al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani that he refuted them and rejected their false interpretation the next characteristic that Imam ibn Khudam mentions from the sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which he reports the statement of Isa alayhi salam the Prophet Jesus peace be upon him that he said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ta'lamu ma fi nafsi you know what is within myself wala a'lamu ma fi nafsik and I don't know what is in yourself here the Shaykh says that an nafs or self has been confirmed as a characteristic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran as well as in the Sunnah and the Ijma' of the Salaf or the consensus of the early generations of the Muslims. And from amongst the proofs is the ayah that al ibn Qudama mentions in Surah Al-Ma'idah chapter 5 verse 116 uh, that which is reported from Isa alayhi salam and as well in Surah Al-An'am chapter 6 verse 54 the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala كَتَبَ رَبُّكُمْ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ الرَّحْمَةِ That Allah, that your Lord has written or prescribed or ordained upon himself الرَّحْمَةِ يعني that he should be merciful كَتَبَ رَبُّكُمْ عَلَى نَفْسِهِ He has prescribed upon himself that he be merciful Here the Shaykh says the saying which has been reported by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran from Isa السلام, that he said you know what is in within myself while I don't know what is in yourself he said that besides this the proof of a nafs or the self being affirmed for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the hadith that is reported by Imam Muslim uh, in the book of Zikr and Dua concerning the adhkar that one should say in the day and in the night the statement from Juwariya رضي الله عنها may Allah be pleased with her one of the wives of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that he said Subhanallah wa bihamdihi عدد خلقه ورضى نفسه وزينة عرشه ومدادة كلماته يعني that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم told her to say these words as part of her azkar or zikr one day when she was sitting remembering Allah from after the dawn prayer until the Prophet ﷺ returned to her and he told her that these words if someone were to say them they would be more valuable than what she had said the meaning subhanallah subhanallah wa bihamdihi that Allah is declared to be free from whatever they have ascribed to him of falsehood or shortcoming or defect 
وبحمده and that he is the one who should be praised that these two words subhanallah وبحمده it is عدد خلقه the number of his creatures يعني that it is said the number of creatures that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created وريضى نفسه and in accordance with the pleasure of his own self وزينة عرشه and equal to the weight of his arsh his throne ومداد كلماته and equal to the ink with which his words his unlimited words are written here in this dua the Prophet mentioned the expression وَرِضَى نَفْسِهِ the pleasure of his own self the self of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala يعني that we should say subhanallah wa bihamdihi until it equals or until it achieves the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then the Shaykh says that the scholars of the early generation of Muslims have reached consensus also on the confirmation uh, of nafs for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a way that is suitable and appropriate to His Majesty and His glory. Therefore, it is obligatory on us to confirm it without making taharif, distortion, ta'atil, negating its meaning, taqif, explaining the how of it, or tamthil, making examples for Him. And just a note before going on to the next uh, characteristic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I noticed in looking at the translations of this ayah, when I was reading it, I was at a loss to interpret the expression nafs for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I found that Dr. Muslim Khan and Dr. Takhirin Hilali translated it in a way that uh, was very interesting. They said, you know what is within or with what is in my inner self, though I do, I do not or I know not what is in yours, yours. But for the end of the expression, nafsik, they didn't say yourself for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They just said, you know what is in my inner self, but I don't know what is in yours. So I wanted to say, I wanted to know how shall we translate nafs for Allah, for, the, for himself, for Isa salam, they said, my inner self. But they didn't say self for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And actually, this word nafs is a difficult word to translate. And I looked at some of the translations to see if I could get a hint. And I was uh, saddened to find that some of them have translated, Muhammad Pickford translated in this ayat, uh, nafs as mind which in Arabic is aql. He said that you know what is in my mind, but I don't know what is in your mind. And attributing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah has a mind. And the aql is something that is created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And nothing of Allah is created. Yusuf Ali, and this was in the translation of Pickfall and Thomas Irving, Dr. Thomas D. Irving, they used the word mind. And Yusuf Ali, went even further than that and he said you know what is in my heart while I don't know what is in your heart so here he attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala having a heart in any case the important thing is that this shows us the danger the danger of interpretation without carefully examining and inspecting the meanings of the words and the intention as Imam al-Shafi rahimahullah said that آمَنْتُ بِاللَّهِ وَبِمَا جَاءَ عَنِ اللَّهِ عَلَى مُرَادِ اللَّهِ 
that I believe in Allah and what has come from Allah in the way that it was intended by Allah. Did Allah intend here by nafs to attribute to himself a qalb, a heart, or a mind, al aql? As one of the people in America, one of the leaders of Muslims in America said that Allah is al aql, al ilahi, the divine mind. But has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called himself a divine mind? Here, in their attempt to translate the meaning, though the general meaning of the ayah may be, that you know what is in myself, meaning my thoughts or my feelings or whatever is inside of me, my inner thoughts and feelings, which that the person's feelings might be expressed by that which is in their heart, and their thoughts might be expressed by that which is in their mind. But does this allow us to now attribute to Allah that Allah said He has a heart or Allah said that He has a mind? Is Allah to be, or is it permissible for us to attribute such to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or is it for us only to affirm for Allah that which he has affirmed for himself the dictionary definition of nafs it has many definitions from amongst them soul, spirit, mind, life living creature, human being individual and so many other words none of those really being applicable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because the soul is created and Allah is the creator not a creation and so also the spirit is created and Allah is the creator he is not a creation and a living creature or a human being all of these are inapplicable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and from amongst the definitions that perhaps are closer is the definition of self or the nature or essence of something يعني, the nafs of Allah perhaps we may say that it is the essence or the, the nature or the self and Allah knows best but in any case Perhaps, and Allah knows best, the most correct uh, expression in English language that's applicable to this ayah is the self. Uh, and in Arabic we say, uh, as it has been confirmed by the scholars of Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah, the that, perhaps the nafs, it means the that, the self of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah's self or his that, which is described by his characteristics and his actions. Uh, the next characteristic that Imam Ibn Qudama mentions is the characteristic of coming Al-Maji Are they waiting for anything other than Allah will come to them? Al-Ityan Wal-Maji It means coming And this has been confirmed in these two ayats that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will come. Uh, the Shaykh says concerning this characteristic that al-maji or coming uh, is the coming of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to judge between the creatures on Yom Qiyamah. The coming of Allah it means when Allah will come on Yom Qiyamah to judge between the creatures on, on the day of judgment. And this is confirmed in the Qur'an as well as the Sunnah and the consensus or Ijma' of the early generations of the Muslims. Uh, in one of these ayats it is more clearly mentioned that this coming is the coming of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, on the day of judgment in which in Surah Al-Baqarah the second ayat Surah Al-Baqarah chapter 2 verse 210 it mentions in the completion of that ayat, are they waiting for anything except that Allah will come to them? 
min al ghamam in the clouds of the uh, or in the shade of the clouds wal malaikatu and the angels wa qudi al amr and then the, the matter would be finalized it would be closed wa ila Allah turja'u al umur and everything all affairs return to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so this is showing that the coming year it means the time when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will come with his angels to close the affair wa qudi al amr yani to judge the affairs of the people and it is also likewise as the Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen mentioned it is likewise confirmed in the Sunnah or in the Hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam a Hadith that has been reported by both al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu uh, he mentions the part of the Hadith which is a very long Hadith he mentions the narration of Imam Muslim حَتَّى إِذَا لَمْ يَبْقَى إِلَّا مَنْ يَعْبُدُ اللَّهِ مِنْ بَرٍ وَفَاجِرٍ أَتَاهُمْ رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ until when there wouldn't remain anyone except those who worship Allah whether they were of the Bar, the righteous or the Fajir or the unrighteous but they were of the worshippers of Allah any of the believers until they wouldn't remain except those who worshipped Allah Atahum Rabbul Alameen then the Lord of the Worlds he would come to them in this hadith if we read it uh, in its narration in Sahih Muslim or the narration of Al-Bukhari we will know that is the long hadith of Abu Sayyid Al-Qudri in which he mentions that which would take place on Yom Qiyamah when the people would see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in that long hadith he mentioned a number of incidents from amongst them he said that all of the people would be called to that which they worshipped in this world. The Christians would be called to the salib, to the course, that which they worship in this world. And the pagans would be called to the idols. And every people would be called to whatever false gods they worship. And all of them would be punished. Until there wouldn't remain anyone. And all of the people would have been called to that which they worship. Until there didn't remain anyone except those who worshipped Allah. At that time, when the only ones who were remaining were those who worshipped Allah, that's when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will come in front of His people. And in the narration of Al-Bukhari, uh, he said <coughs> that this would go on until it wouldn't remain except those who worshipped Allah, and then we would hear a caller who would call out, so that every people would be brought to that which they worship, and we would be waiting for our Lord. At that point he said, فَيَأْتِيَهُمْ الْجَبَّارِ فِي سُورَةٍ غَيْرَ سُورَةٍ الَّتِي رَأَوْهُ فِيهَا أَوَّلَ مَرَّةٍ Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala al-Jabbar, the mighty, He would come in front of the people in a way or in a form different than the form that they had seen him in the first time. In any case, the meaning here is similar, or the, the meaning is the same, the expression is different in Al-Bukhari, but the point that is mentioned here, فَيَأْتِيَهُمْ الْجَبَّارِ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would come to them. So this is also a proof of the coming of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that this would take place on the day of judgment. The people of deviation explained the coming of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they said, that the coming of Allah it means the coming of His command 
the coming of Allah, they said it means that Allah's command would come. Not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would come. And we refute them as we refuted the previous false interpretations with the fourth rule that the Shaykh mentioned in the introduction to the book that this interpretation that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will come in His angels and on Yom Qiyamah He will come before His people especially in this hadith it makes it clear that He will come to them in a form other than the form that they have seen Him before it is a proof that it means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself will come so we say that this interpretation that the coming of Allah it means the coming of His command is contradictory to the clear text of the Qur'an and the clear text of the hadith and as well it is contradictory to the manner of understanding the ayat and hadith of sifat as it was understood by the early generations of the Muslims and number three their interpretation is not based on any authentic evidence or authentic proof so with these three refutations uh, we refute all of the deviations and sometimes the shaykh mentions even an extra point of refutation uh, the next sifa or characteristic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Al-Imam Ibn Qudama mentions is from Surah Al-Ma'idah chapter 5 verse 119 the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala رضي الله عنهم وراضوا عنهم that Allah will be pleased with them or Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with him Shaykh Muhammad Ibn Salih Uthaymin Hafizahullah mentions that Ar-Rida Ar-Rida pleasure or being pleased is a characteristic that is confirmed for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran as well as in the Sunnah and in the Ijma' or consensus of the early generations of the Muslims and this is the proof of this is first the ayah that's mentioned by Al-Imam Ibn Qudama rahimahullah radiyallahu anhum an that Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with him and this ayah in its complete form is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala قال الله هذا يوم ينفع الصادقين صدقهم that this is the day meaning the day of resurrection the day of judgment this is the day when the truthfulness of those who are truthful will benefit them and those who are truthful in this world this is the day يوم القيامة when the truthfulness will benefit them لهم جنات تجري من تحتها الأنهار they will have gardens underneath which rivers flow خالدين فيها أبدا they would remain in it, they would abide in it forever. رضي الله عنهم Allah is pleased with them and they are pleased with him. ذلك الفوز العظيم And that is the supreme achievement. So this, the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is confirmed in the Quran and this ayat and many of the ayats. And as well the Shaykh mentions a proof from the Sunnah. It is the hadith reported by Alma Muslim in his Sahih. Uh, in the chapter of the Dhikr wa Dua, uh, the chapter, the subchapter entitled that it is commendable to praise Allah after eating and drinking. And it is from the hadith of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Inna Allah la yarda an al-abdi ay ya'kula al-aklata fayahmidahu alayha aw yashraba al-shurbata فَيَحْمِدَهُ عَلَيْهَا That verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala إِنَّ اللَّهِ لَيَرْضَى Allah will be pleased and Allah is pleased with his servant or his slave when he eats something, some food and then he praises Allah for that food or he drinks some drink and then he praises Allah 
for that drink. And this is a reminder to us that whenever we eat a drink, not only we should say Bismillah when we eat before eating, but we should also say Alhamdulillah when we finish eating or when we finish drinking. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with the one who praises him after eating a meal or drinking a drink. Also the Shaykh says that the scholars from the early generations of the Muslims, they have reached consensus or ijma on the fact of affirmation of ar-rida, the pleasure being attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, it is obligatory on us to affirm it without making any distortion to harif, nor emptying it of its real meaning, a ta'atil, nor attempting to explain the how of it, a taqif, nor making an example or comparison, a tamthil or tashbih. And it is rida haqiqi, a real pleasure that is suitable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The deviant people re-explained or falsely interpreted our rida of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a thawab. That Allah being pleased with the people means that Allah would reward them. Rida means thawab. Where they got it from, Allah alam. Allah knows this. But we refute their saying, we refute, we refute, refute their saying with, al, with the fourth uh, principle that the Shaykh mentioned in the introduction, those three refutations that are commonly used, that number one, it is contrary to the clear text of the Qur'an and Sunnah, number two, it is contrary to the methodology of understanding, of affirming and accepting on face value the ayat or the hadith of the Prophet concerning as-sifat, and number three, that their interpretation has no authentic proof to support it. The next uh, sifa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's mentioned by the shaykh here is al-mahabba or love. And it is based on the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yuhibbuhum wa yuhibbuna that he loves them and they love him. The shaykh Muhammad ibn Salah Uthaymeen says al-mahabba or love is a characteristic that is affirmed for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an and the Sunnah and the consensus of the Salaf. And it is mentioned in the Qur'an in this ayah in Surah Al-Ma'idah chapter 5 verse 54 the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Ya ayuhu al-ladheena amanu min yaratadda minkum an deenihi that whoever all who believe whoever of you makes and whoever goes back goes out of Islam, apostates from Islam, from his being, فَسَوْفَ يَأْتِ اللَّهُ بِقَوْمٍ يُحِبُّهُمْ وَيُحِبُّونَ Then Allah will soon bring a people. He will bring a people, يُحِبُّهُمْ He will love them, وَيُحِبُّونَهُ And they will love Him. This statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala came in reference to His scolding of those who turn back from Islam and apostate that whoever turns back from his deen, Allah will bring another people who he will love and they will love him. This is the confirmation of love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in this ayat, he goes on to mention or describe the characteristics of those people who Allah would love and who would love him. They will be humble to the believers. They will be stern and strict with the disbelievers. يُجَاهِدُونَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ They will make jihad in the way of Allah. 
and they would not fear the blame of those who blame, they would do whatever is pleasing to Allah, not being concerned with what other people say. This is the favor or the bounty of Allah that He gives to whomever He pleases or whoever He wills. Wallahu and Allah is sufficient. Allah is uh, sufficient in fulfilling the needs of His creatures and He is Alim, the All Knowing. So here love has been confirmed for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in this ayat also we came to know some of the characteristics of those whom Allah would love. They are humble with the believers, stern with the disbelievers, they fight in jihad in the way of Allah and they don't fear what those who want to blame them have to say. But they're only concerned about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what is pleasing to him, what displeasing to him. Also al mahabba or love is confirmed in the sunnah of the Prophet in the hadith which is muttafaqun alayh, it is agreed upon by Al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Sahal ibn Sa'ad radiallahu anhu he said that the Prophet sallallahu said in Yawmul Khaybar on the day when the, when the Muslims went to Khaybar to defeat the Jews he said لَعَاتِيَنَّ الرَّايَةَ غَدًا رَجُلًا يُحِبُّ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ يُحِبُّ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ وَيُحِبُّهُ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ he said I would definitely give a raya, the flag, yani the flag bearer on the battle on the day of Khaybar. He said, I will give it tomorrow, Ghadan, Rajulan, Yuhibullah. I will give it to a man who loves Allah wa Rasuluhu and he loves the Messenger of Allah. Wa Yuhibbuhullah and Allah loves him wa Rasuluhu and the Messenger of Allah loves him. And all of the people wanted to be that one whom the Prophet mentioned and it was Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu anhu. So here in this hadith is confirmed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves uh, and here يعني, the Prophet said he would give the raya or the flag to one whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. So this love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is confirmed by consensus of the scholars. Hmm. Shall I stop just for a moment? Uh, we'll complete this after the Adhan just uh, a moment. I mean, maybe we'll complete all of the sifat, but if we can just complete this one after the adhan. Just for just a, a moment to complete this point uh, concerning the sifa of Allah, al-Muhabba, that Allah loves. The Shaykh said that the scholars of the early generation of the Muslims have confirmed uh, al-mahabba as a characteristic of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah in fact does love and Allah is loved therefore it is obligatory on us to confirm that love as a reality without making any distortion or emptying it of its meaning explaining the how of it which the how of it is meaning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or making examples or comparisons between the love of Allah and the love of any of his creatures it is a real love in a way that is suitable, appropriate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His greatness and His glory. The, the people of deviation reinterpreted al-muhabba as being a thawab, reward. It is one of their favorite interpretations for everything. Al-rida, pleasure, they said it is reward. Al-muhabba, it is reward. Seeking the face of Allah, it is reward. Everything is reward. There is no face, there is no pleasure, there is no love. This is their manner of 
canceling the Quran and canceling what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has affirmed for himself. But we refute them as we did previously with the fourth rule that the Sheikh mentions in the introduction that the interpretation of al-mahabba that Allah loves as being the reward of Allah, the thawab, it is contrary to the obvious meaning in the Arabic language of al-mahabba and it is contrary to the way of the early generations of the Muslims who used to accept the ayat and the hadith of sifat as their meaning is in the Arabic language in the obvious meaning, face value and also that such interpretation has no authentic proof to support it. This is the last of the sifat that we want to mention today, inshallah, in the next lecture. The only Ta'ala will complete the sifat that the Shaykh mentions from the Quran and go on to the sifat that he mentions from hadith. But before closing, there are a few questions here that we need to look at quickly. How did the deviants interpret hand as a sifa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How did they interpret hand? Some of them said that it means ni'mah, Allah's favor. And some of them said that it means qudra, Allah's power. Number two, can we say that nafs means heart or mind as a sifa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Yani, can we say that Allah is a heart? By using the ayah of Quran that mentions nafs, the answer obviously is no. That this al-qalb wal-aql is something that is not confirmed in the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Number three, how do we understand the sifat of Allah, ghadab, kiraha, or rida? And we didn't reach ghadab and kiraha, but rida we mentioned and mahabba we mentioned. Uh, how do we interpret? the sifat of Allah that are mentioned in the Qur'an and in the Sunnah in general, how do we interpret them? Yani how do we understand them? We understand them on their face value. We understand them according to their literal meaning without giving any false interpretation or distortion of their meaning or emptying them of meaning or making comparison of those characteristics for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the characteristics that may be found in the creatures, human or otherwise. This is how we understand the sifat of Allah. Whether ghadab, anger, kiraha, hatred, rida, pleasure, or whatever. Al-majih, coming, whatever it may be. Al-wajh, uh, face, al-yadain, hands. All of them we understood. We understand them as they uh, are understood on face value in the Arabic language without giving any interpretation or negation or comparison to them. The last question, how can we refute the deviants who gave false interpretations to Allah's sifat? How can we refute them? We said that there are three general refutations. Can anybody name one of them? How do we refute those who reinterpret the sifat of Allah? Okay, we ask for the proof. They have no proof. That's one of them. That we say that you have no authentic proof for what you are saying, for this interpretation. Another one, that their interpretation is contrary to the obvious meaning of the text in the Quran or in the Sunnah. It is contrary to the obvious meaning. And we take it on face value. And number three, we said that reinterpreting without an evidence or proof for that reinterpretation, yeah, I mean distorting something from its obvious meaning, is contrary to the way or the manner 
of the early generations of the Muslims, the Sahaba and their students and those who came after them. Yani their manner was to make isbat, to confirm it and to make imra, to accept it on face value without making any uh, distortion or reinterpretation or negation or comparison. So these are the three manners, the general manners of refuting the deviants and sometimes according to some of their interpretation there may be other manners of refuting them. The last question uh, is the question of one of the sisters that came last week and we didn't answer it. Is bid'ah worse? No, we answer that one. Is bid'ah worse than haram? The second question, the people who thought they were so good that they deserved Jannah. When, that is, when, when you're talking about going to extremes, did they think this in their mind or were they telling other people this? Uh, and other extreme, losing hope of Allah's mercy, what, what was the sin they were committing? Feeling it or saying it? Yani, we mentioned last week that the way of the Ahl Sunnah Jum'ah is between the extremes, the middle path, and that middle path from amongst the things that Ali Muhammad mentioned was between Al-Amnu and Al-Iyas. Yani between feeling completely safe from the punishment of Allah and between going to the other extreme of feeling hopeless of the mercy of Allah. That we are between these. That anyone who feels that they are so good, that they are guaranteed paradise and they are free from any possibility of being punished by Allah for their shortcomings, this is Al-Amnu. This is wrong. This is unacceptable Islamically. And so also those who think because of their Yani plentiful sins that there is no hope for them for the mercy of Allah. This is also another extreme and this is also unacceptable Islamically. So the question is, yani, those people who thought they were so good, was the was the their error that they were thinking it in their own minds or that they were telling it to other people? Telling it to other people and even thinking it in your own mind is error. It's incorrect. No person should feel so good that they are guaranteed to escape from the punishment of Allah. The companion of the Prophet ﷺ, they didn't feel at the time of their death, most of them were saying that they feared that, that, Allah, that they may not escape from the punishment of Allah. They were the best of humanity and the best of this ummah. And yet they died still having fear that perhaps they wouldn't make it. Then what about you and I? And the other extreme, those who committed so many sins that they lost hope of the mercy of Allah, was it that they were feeling this or that they were saying it to other people again? The same thing. Saying it to other people or feeling it is unacceptable. A believer should never lose hope of the mercy of Allah. Allah's mercy overcame his wrath. No believer, as long as you believe in Allah, no matter what sins you committed, as long as you يعني, repent to Allah sincerely, Allah accepts sincere repentance. And there is always hope, no matter how extreme or how severe or how many our sins are, a believer should never lose hope of the mercy of Allah, nor should a believer ever feel that they are guaranteed to escape from the punishment of Allah. So I hope this answers the question. If there are any comments or corrections or questions from the brothers before we leave. Uh, the first way one is, is proof. That's the third thing that the Shaykh mentioned, to ask for proof. To tell them that they have no authentic proof for their interpretation. Before that he said, the first argument against them is that their interpretation is contrary to the obvious literal text of the Qur'an or Sunnah. It's contrary to it. It contradicts the obvious text of what we are reading from Allah. And the second proof is that their manner of reading the text of Sifat in the Qur'an or in the Sunnah, their manner of reading it by reinterpreting it or making comparison or negating its meaning or trying to explain the how of it, 
This manner of understanding the ayahs of Quran and Hadith related to the sifat of Allah, this manner is contrary to the manner of the companions of the Prophet and the, and the Tabi'een and those who followed them. They didn't used to do so. They used to accept it on face value. So whoever reinterprets or makes explanations or comparisons or negations, they are going in a, on a road or following a manner or methodology that is contrary to the first generations of the Muslims. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika shabran la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu alayka. Bye.